HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Eat Your Heartland Out with me, your host and tour guide, Capri Cafaro. Our show this hour celebrates agricultural and culinary tourism. The Midwest has a number of options for food lovers and ag adventure seekers. Today, we're going to introduce you to two of the best programs designed for visitors to experience the food and the bounty of the region. And we meet some of the people behind these tourism initiatives. Lindsay Skeen, Executive Director of the Indiana Foodways Alliance, gives us a front row seat to the over 20 culinary trails she helps organize in the Hoosier State. She also introduces us to Ben Morgan, owner of the 1925 Pub House, and Patrick Rice, owner of The Tin Plate. Both of their restaurants participate in the Tenderloin Lovers Trail. But first, I welcome Candy Welsh-Streed, Director of Partnerships for Silos and Smokestacks National Heritage Area in Iowa, a unique region that highlights the state's agricultural and industrial heritage through a variety of curated locations for tourists to stop, learn, and experience Iowa all for themselves. Candy, thanks for joining us from Iowa. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, this uh, Silos and Smokestacks National Heritage Area is something that I've heard about um, for a while and something that I've been really curious about. Um, And so when we had a chance to connect, I was really excited uh, to learn more and then to share um, the story of Silos and Smokestacks with um, our listening audience. So um, first things first, tell us what is the Silos and Smokestacks National Heritage Area? Well, Silos and Smokestacks National Heritage Area is Iowa's only national heritage area. And we are a partner with the National Park Service. We There are currently 55 national heritage areas in, in the United States, but we are the only one located in Iowa. So what does it mean to be a national heritage area versus maybe a national heritage site? I like to kind of describe it. Uh, a national park unit is owned by the federal government and managed by federal employees, but national heritage areas are um, are managed by a local regional entity. Um, they work in public-private partnerships to preserve their American story or whatever they have contributed to the American experience. So in Pittsburgh, you have uh, Rivers of Steel, uh, and they're preserving the steel industry story. Uh, Motor Cities in uh, Detroit is preserving the automobile heritage. Here in Iowa, 
our story is about American agriculture and how mm -hmm. Iowans have influenced American agriculture and continue to today. So we're a unique heritage area in the fact that our story didn't have an end and, be, and uh, didn't have a beginning and an end. Our story continues. We sometimes reference it as a living landscape. Uh, you can see the story of American agriculture throughout Northeast Iowa. So you've very well defined what the National Heritage Area is and what it what it means uh, in Iowa, um, but there are, is so much more, um, you know, beneath the surface. Um, so if if we were to go and visit silos and smokestacks and this National Heritage Area, what would we what would we find and how would we find it? Because it sounds like it's a pretty expansive region. The Silos and Smokestacks National Heritage Area is a 37-county uh, region uh, in northeastern Iowa. So we're about 20,000 square miles. Uh, oh, wow. We are, we are um, uh, essentially, the if people are familiar, Interstate 80 and Interstate 35, um, we kind of, are the heritage area kind of comes across those areas and up to the northeastern quadrant of the state. And um, it started that, and you might go, why not the rest of the state of Iowa? Uh, well, uh, sometimes you might say politics. Um, you might say that it was an act of con uh, congressional act uh, uh, by uh, Congress and legislation that determined our boundaries. Um, it started out as a Waterloo Iowa effort, which is home of John Deere Tractor, which is obvi obviously one of the most iconic brands when it comes yeah. to ag <laughs> yes. equipment and anything and, else. And that's the tip of the iceberg, really, when it comes to Iowa, our region's um, agricultural history and significance, because um, there were many other producers of agricultural implements like Hartpar, Oliver, White, um, to name a few. But the heritage area began from an effort of of Waterloo concerned citizens. They were concerned about what happened to their community after the farm crisis. We saw huge declines of employment in ag industry. And, and so they had no idea that when they started out looking at preserving their community and providing some economic development, they would stumble on to becoming a national heritage area. They quickly realized their relationship between what they did in the industrial hub of Waterloo and, and what happened around the region of northeastern Iowa when it came to agriculture production. No, no, you, you certainly have. But, uh, you know, I, I, it's obviously brought up um, kind of a, another question of how do you make that leap from, you know, a, a group of volunteers trying to deal with kind of a mainstream revitalization, <laughs> economic development, and all of this to becoming, you know, a national heritage area. Actually, it, yeah, it was kind of quite the, quite the effort. Um, basically, national heritage areas began there in the, in the 80s, there was the INM Canal that was created with the National Park Service in Chicago, uh, outside of Chicago about the INM Canal Way and its, it, and its role in American development and, and or westward development. And, uh, after that though, you know, national parks, uh, the National Park Service knows they can't preserve all, all things related to uh, our American history by owning it in federal land. So that's why they created this new model of national heritage areas. So then what happened is um, in the, uh, the National Park Service did a feasibility study, and they determined that the agricultural heritage resources that uh, in um, northeastern Iowa were nationally significant. And that kind of got the ball rolling and designated this region of Northeast Iowa as a, a region of national significance related to agriculture. What happened here in Iowa, you know, part of it has to do with um, our land uh, is so fertile. I think mm -hmm. we, uh, we have something like 25% of America's grade eight soil right here in, in the world. Soil, 25 of its top soil is here in Iowa. And so, um, and we could go on about how that happened, uh, but, 
you know, it, it's this heritage area is this national heritage area around agriculture is here in Iowa because Iowans raised their hands and said, we want to be the keepers of America's agricultural story. Mm-hmm. We, and, and we think we've got the resources to do it. And so hence they created this relationship with the National Park Service. And as you say, the rest is history. Um, we, and so I, you know, it's um, so important, um, the story of agriculture, because food affects all of our daily lives. Um, it's course. a basic and constant necessity, right? And, um, you know, these days, in early American history, 98% of our population worked in agriculture. Today, mm-hmm. I think it's less, it's less than 2%. I, I'm not sure the exact number right now, but... It, it's many folks are disconnected with where their food comes from. So it makes their work as a national heritage area that much more significant. There are individual kind of sites and participants that are telling that story uh, of agriculture in the region. Uh, yes. How are those uh, participants, locations uh, selected um, to be part of, you know, this national heritage uh, region. I mean, you're not going to, you know, designate every gas station and, you know, <laughs> what and fat and fast food chain to be part of it, right? So there's yes. got to be a process that says, you know, this location um, fits what you know the story that we're trying exactly. to tell has that his historical and cultural significance um, to be part of it. So how what's that process? Well, that is a big part of my job, um, is, is to help um, um, identify those sites. Uh, there are currently uh, are roughly a, over 100, 110 uh, different sites involved, ranging from um, vineyards to county historical sites, national historic landmarks, um, nationally, internationally uh, recognized museums, Living history farms, farms themselves, um, ag, ag businesses. Each of those sites goes through a process, a peer review process, um, that, that was established by the sites themselves with, with the silos or nonprofit organization that I work for the silos and smokestacks nonprofit organization. I forgot to mention that, that help has the responsibility of helping coordinate the efforts of the heritage area. And so um, we work with the sites to look at, okay, you know, first criteria is where you're located. Are you located within the heritage area boundaries? And then we look at what stories do you tell and what kind of experiences do you offer and how are they presented to the public and creating a positive visitor experience. But we really focus on uh, what makes their site unique and special to the story of American agriculture, but then how was that representative of what happened in the nation when it and and, and how it influenced you know in some cases it might have had influences nationally um, you know I always say I work with uh, I work with engineers from Kinsey manufacturing or uh, uh, John Deere uh, to your grandma that helps manage the uh, County Historical Society, you know, so right. I, and, and to museums. So anyone that has a keeper of our cultural heritage in, in Iowa, that is synonymous with, with agriculture. Um, and so I, you know, it can be any type of site that we can work with, but we really focus on helping them develop their story and create it, uh, um, help them create new ways for people to engage with it. Um, through programs, you know, tours, uh, different types of experiences. So, can you give me? Can you give me an yeah, example? It, it, it's a very satisfying job. <laughs> it sounds like a fun job. I, it definitely sounds like a fun job. I feel so fortunate to be an Iowan myself and be able to work with Iowa's keepers of our agricultural, uh, our cultural heritage. I always say they're the best people in the world because they care deeply. You know, if there's someone there that in that community that says, you shall not pass, (laughs) you know, you're not going to tear down this old mill. It has a history and it's important. Let's find a reuse for it and, and preserve and share it. So that, you know, I'm pretty fortunate that Iowans have a, you know, uh, feel a great responsibility to preserving their heritage. 
I, I totally agree. And, and I do see uh, this in, you know, meeting the folks that I meet through interviewing uh, folks for this program that I, I think that is very much a Midwestern characteristic that they're not to say that that's not possessed by others across the country or the world, but, you know, I think that there is this sense of responsibility to um, preserve heritage for the next generation um, and help people understand the context in which, you know, they come from and and how that impacts how they're living today. Um, so you have um, a number of different uh, ag adventures um, and kind of like these, I, they're called tour loops. Um, and I want to, I want to touch on those because I think it's a good example of everything that we've been discussing up to this point, you know, helping people tell that story, getting, uh, individuals, uh, out there to understand and access some of these very important, uh, agricultural stories, um, and, uh, understanding where their food comes from. Uh, so there are a number of different loops. Um, why don't you run run us through some of them? I will do that. I'm tr- I just was going to pull that up. Uh, you know, a lot of times in Iowa, people we do try to organize some of the loops kind of geographically um, in, in rural regions and or off of a metro hub. Um, so, you know, one of our, our themes is... <clears throat> A river runs through it. I was full of river towns and you can explore, you know, the history of ice houses, schoolhouses, nature trails. Um, you know, ag in the metro area is another one here in Waterloo that we do where you have a, a you know, uh, or excuse me, uh, and that one's in the Des Moines area, but uh, there are ones around along the back roads. And finding hidden treasures. Um, you know, the city of Waterloo is the city of 100 smokestacks because of its um, ag industrial history um, in Waterloo. And you can explore uh, uh, that through art, um, through the actual ag industry, or, and in museums. Um, some others, you know, are you know, the community of Dubuque is where I, near where I grew up. It's I, one of Iowa's oldest cities. It's a river town on the Mississippi River, um, and and you can experience places like the agri- excuse me, the National Mississippi. Re- ah, easier said than done. <laughs> the National Mississippi River uh, Museum and Aquariums uh, in Dubuque, who they really do a fantastic job of talking about land conservation, water conservation and the relationship of transportation on the Mississippi River and agriculture, and but also the natural life. Um, you know, so it just goes on and on. I would say that for many folks looking at these tours, they might not, they might say, oh, you know, some might think of Iowa just as a flyover state, but um, Iowa is so much more than that. And um, in fact, we have, you know, really wonderful, authentic experiences people can have, um, as well as, I was a very affordable place to visit in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I, I actually am just looking now at the uh, not a flyover state um, s- circuit. Um, and uh, there's so much here. Uh, the Pioneer Museum. I know that uh, the Heartland Museum. I mean, there's so much. I noticed not on this specific trail, but there's also uh, an African-American uh, museum that's part of um, I, one of the I, Iowans in their heritage category. Yes. Uh, the not a flyover state, the adventures one, you know, those are a lot of our smaller museums. And I would right. encourage people that sometimes those can be the best places to go and the best experiences. And in some cases, those smaller rural communities are run by the local volunteers and they're by appointment only. I would not let that deter you. I would say go for it because they care about these places so deeply and genuinely are glad you came and that your tourism dollar really does have an impact in their community. Um, And you can see some authentic ways of life. Agriculture isn't just a business. It's a way of life. 
um, in our rural communities. And that, you know, that's kind of in my mind when I look at that, that tour of different places, you know, talks about the history of our country schools as well, because, Mm -hmm. um, Iowa's country schools helped build a nation. Um, and so I, you know, going to your, you, you had asked about islands and their heritage. Um, and there's just so many places, um, to intersect that. And, uh, Iowans, you know, are modest folks, but they were tinkers and they, they tried to make life easier for themselves on the farm, and sure. and 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 created a created created what they needed to get things done to do the job, and so you can see that transformation of what that did to Iowa farmers, what it did to help them on the farm. It ended up helping a nation and a world and producing enough food to feed ourselves, and so you know that's when you say Iowans and their heritage, that's what I think of. Um, uh, but you also mentioned the African American Museum of Iowa, which is, yes. I think, I think they're going through some major renovations right now. They just are closing, I think, um, in August for a little bit while they do some renovations because they're also along the mis- the uh, Cedar Ridge, or Cedar. <laughs> I'll get it out, Cedar River, um, and they suffered some major. Uh, flooding in, in oh, that areas areas now a few years back, but they're getting back to some of those, you know, improvements so that doesn't happen to their areas again. And anyway, but the African American Museum has such an important role. It's a very un uh, in Iowa, um, the role of African Americans, their history is not very well known, and so they've they've been doing some great job, uh, uh, have been doing some great exhibits that help share that story and what innovations that African-Americans had, especially like in refrigeration of agriculture. But, um, oh, wow. they, they, yeah, um, I, it's something I didn't know. Also the super soaker. But um, <laughs> if, you, if you've got kids, you'll know what that is. Um, That's right. It, it's amazing to, uh, uh, to me um, to think about all the different sites that we work with and they're always more coming. Um, and, and people are like, aren't they done? And I'm like, no, there's always some new experiencing developing, um, you know, be it vineyards or, or farm experiences. Um, people are continuing to, to preserve and share their experiences. Um, and, I, you know, it just, it, we just got to hold on and keep riding along with it. So... Yeah, well, I mean, I think you've just described exactly why um, people need to go visit this region because you end up learning something that, you know, is right under your nose, um, that is so significant um, that you would have never known unless you made the effort. And and that, I think, is why it's so important to have a national heritage region like this in Iowa because um, it's not just one thing, one place. It's this collective um, and agriculture is so significant to um you know, our, our nation story, the Midwest story. Um, and obviously everybody's got to eat. So th- this is, I'm so glad, um, that we've had a chance to chat. Before I let you go, where can folks learn about, um, silos and smokestacks and, um, how they can plan their own adventure? The fastest way is to go to our website and it's silosandsmokestacks.org. It is all written out and squished together. And there's an explore tab and there's a trip planning tool that you can use. You can also order a visitor guide there if you'd like to be able to toss that visitor guide into your glove box. Um, but I also, you know, would encourage people to participate in, uh, you know, an event we have. It's a national event, um, called our, uh, it's a photo contest and, um, it's an annual photo contest for both amateur and professional photographers. And you can submit your photos now between now and October 31st, but taking photos of how, what agriculture looks like in your community. Um, and there, there are many categories and prize money. So that would be, yes. And so, and then, um, I did, if I have time, I'd, I'd love to tell you that about the Iowa Eats Food and Drink Festival yes. that's coming well, up. Yes, well, I mean, this, go for it. Awesome. Um, that is something new we're working on uh, it, that will happen 
next year, April 1st um, of 2023. It'll be held here in our our headquarters uh, community in Waterloo, Iowa. Um, it's a one-day celebration of Iowa food and drink. And there will be food and beverage tasting, cooking, and product demonstrations, entertainment. Um, but just, a, a, a you know, for us in Northeast Iowa, this kind of thing really hasn't happened at that level. So we're super excited to involve um, not only Iowa residents, but visitors from um from the nation around the the nation. Well, that's uh, definitely a good tip. I mean, it sounds incredible. Um, I know that there's going to be, you know, authors and demonstrations and chefs and a, a whole lot of things there um, that will really engage the public and, and help them learn even more. So we won't forget April uh, of next year, the first Iowa Eats Food Festival. Um, just another reason to go visit the, this region uh, out in Iowa. Um, we really appreciate your time, Candy, and we appreciate you sharing the story of silos and smokestacks with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. And we hope that you'll come join us at the Iowa Eats event. I would be honored. I would be honored. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3 from HRN, we're dissecting the mojito, one ingredient at a time. Because it's fizzy water and it's different to other waters we've seen, it must cure something. I actually hadn't heard that Sir Francis Drake story before, but it was so typical it had me rolling my eyes over here. There was no other substance around where you could get so much booze per buck. Tune in to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. This hour, we are talking tourism. Our last guest, Candy Wells-Street, shared highlights of Iowa's Silos and Smokestacks National Heritage Area, which features a variety of agricultural-related attractions. Now, I welcome our next guests, all from the Hoosier State. Lindsay Skeen is the executive director of the Indiana Foodways Alliance. She's also joined by Ben Morgan, owner of the 1925 Pub House, and Patrick Rice, owner of the Tin Plate. Both of their restaurants participate in the Foodway Alliance's Tenderloin Lovers Trail. Well, this is a very, very tasty segment um, that I think is going to make everybody want to get in their cars uh, and get in a plane and go to Indiana. Uh, and so first I want to welcome in uh, Lindsay, uh, our, the executive director of the Indiana Foodways Alliance. Lindsay, thank you for being part of uh, the program today. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, introduce us all to the Indiana Foodways Alliance. Uh, who are you and what do you do? Okay, well, my name is Lindsay Skeen, and I am the executive director of Indiana Foodways Alliance. And we are a not-for-profit membership marketing organization, and we promote locally-owned restaurants all throughout the state of Indiana. And we do that through our 21 culinary trails. And so what we do is we uh, promote all those locally owned restaurants. We do not um, allow franchises in our organization and really just um, tagging into that 
local piece, the, the mom and pop shops, the, the, you know, uh, restaurant down the road, um, owned by, um, the, um, person, um, that, you know, you know, you've known forever. So, um, that is who we are. We have 21 different culinary trails. Um, some of those are, um, of course the tenderloin lovers trail, which is popular in Indiana due to the pork tenderloin sandwich. We have a, the Hoosier pie trail, which is very, very popular throughout the, um, uh, Midway, Midwest. Um, it is um, paying homage to the sugar cream pie trail. Hoosier pie is great. I just going to say Hoosier pie is great. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, if any of you have ever had it. I know Patrick and, of course, Ben have, um, but it, it is delicious. They used to call it desperation pie, and um, that is because they would just use what they had on hand um, during the Depression. See, it, you learn a little bit every time, you know, you um, go on one of these trails. You know, it's not just about eating good food. It's kind of about learning about the culture uh, around you as well, which is what I, I find really great about this. You you noted a number of different trails, um, and I, I want to get to the Tenderloin Lover's Trail in a second because we're going to bring in some special guests. But um, how do you choose these different trails? I mean, like I said, there are how many? 30-something trails? Uh, 21. 21. Okay. So there are 21 and I'm looking at some of them here. Uh, chicken and uh, you have farm to table here, fishy, fishy, barbecue, brews, all kinds of things. So I feel like, you know, anybody that if, whatever you like, whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it on one of these 21 trails. But how do you select them outside of, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, you're not going to have, you know, franchises on here. It's going to be those mom and pops, those you know, um, those establishments that are you know, rooted in, in these individual communities. But is there anything that goes into it when it comes to being specifically capturing the, the spirit of Indiana food or culture? Well, for instance, um, the Just Cruising Trail is very popular. So Indiana has um, many different drive-ins, drive-ups, um, and um, classic restaurants that, you know, date back to the, you know, fi the 50s. And people really um, enjoy that in Indiana. They want that nostalgia. And so we have um, that that highlights those specific restaurants um, all throughout the state. There is a, a dense population in um, of those restaurants. I know um, the Anderson area, which two of our guests are from, have three, um, three of those restaurants on that trail. And, and we love it because people want to tap into that nostalgia. We, uh, dating back to, you know, the 1950s and 60s when, when things were a little bit simpler. So we, we do promote that and we have those all throughout the state of those drive-ins and drive-ups and, and cruise-in type of, of restaurants. I know people do love that nostalgia, and I, I'm sure that that does attract people, not just from Indiana, but uh, from, you know, around the region. Yes, absolutely. And uh, another trail is the Winter Winter Chicken Dinner Trail, which is a very popular trail uh, on our, um, in our organization as well. And it's tapping into that fried chicken. Um, and in that region in Indiana, whether it's, you know, the northern region and um, the Amish um, piece, we have several restaurants that um, highlight that fried chicken. And I think it, it taps into um, something within relating back to, you know, when you're younger, or at least in, in my case, and and the generation before me is that's what you did on Sunday is you sat down, you had a meal, um, with your family, whether it's out on a restaurant and fried chicken, believe it or not, was a staple in that. And, and I know, um, and Ben and Patrick here today can, can also talk on that as well, but it does, it taps into that, that feeling of, um, community and family and people tie that in together, um, enjoying that fried chicken, um, within those restaurants on the trails. 
Well, I, I got to ask one thing about fried chicken in Indiana just quickly, because we do have a big Amish community as well in Northeastern Ohio. Um, so I'm familiar with, you know, um, the very, you know, uh, juicy chicken that, that is often, you know, served in the Amish communities. But there's a part of um, Northeastern Ohio outside of Akron, actually, that is very known for its, quote, chicken houses, fried chicken. And they have what they call hot sauce, but frankly, it looks like uh, like rice and beans. And so I'm curious, before I, I go on to pork in a second, but is this something that you see there too? Do they, do they have something called hot sauce that looks like rice and beans? I'm just kidding. Or are we just weird? No. <laughs> well, you're certainly not weird. Everybody has their own unique, <laughs> unique uh, things that they're they're known for. Um, however, I have not seen that personally, and I have been to many, many restaurants all throughout um, Indiana. Um, not all of the winter, winter chicken dinner trails are Amish. I know that northern base that we have. Um, I have not seen that up there, and and the restaurants that are on the trail, for instance. Blue Gate in Shipshawana is heavy um, populated with the Amish community, and and that's what they highlight in that restaurant. So, no, I have not seen that. I don't know if Ben and Patrick can talk on that at all. But really, what what this trail is with the fried chicken is just bringing back that that sense of family and and what it feels like on a Sunday um, and tapping into those emotions. I love that. And, and, you know, food is all about emotions and nostalgia um, and, um, you know, and culture. And, um, you know, I know that Indiana is a big pork producer. This pork tenderloin is famous and famous enough to have its own trail. And we are lucky to have two guests with us today that are part of the Tenderloin Lovers Trail in Indiana. So um, I will go ahead and bring you both into the conversation, um, Ben and Patrick. Uh, ben, um, let me just, uh, let me start with you. If you can just um, tell us a, a little bit of background about you and your restaurant um, and how you came into the Tenderloin Trail. Sure. My name is Ben Morgan. I'm the owner of the 1925 Pub House Restaurant in Anderson, Indiana. And we've actually just been in business for a couple years, um, actually. So it's it was uh, pretty amazing to be on the trail and to be ranked as high as we were, you know, just getting uh, our business going uh, for sure. Been in the uh, restaurant industry since 1986, so a lot of experience, know a lot of people in the industry, uh, been in, uh, but uh, been in operations and such, and decided uh, during the pandemic of all times to open up my own restaurant. So I had a unique opportunity come our way to take on a property that was actually owned by the city of Anderson. It was a restaurant ready to go. It's on a golf course, so it's pretty much destination dining. And you know, we told the city when we opened that we weren't going to be a hot dog and hamburger joint. We we're going to be a, a destination dining casual restaurant with a pub. And they were all for it. So uh, we we opened up in August of 20. Uh, we've uh, and then shortly afterwards, we heard from the Madison County Visitors Bureau and and uh, Lindsay uh, with the Indiana Foodways Alliance. They came in, tried us out and said, oh, my gosh, your tenderloins are incredible. You're a hidden gem. You should be on our tenderloin trail. And uh, that's how we got started uh, with them. Our chef is we have an executive chef, Kevin Collins, extremely talented. He's been making tenderloins for a long time. So it's not just like a new recipe that just came about in the last couple of years. It's his baby. Uh, he gets all the credit for it. Uh, we felt like, you know, we build it and they will come and that's what happened. And there's not too many other restaurants that can actually say that Amelia Earhart ate in the restaurant. Or, or I was that. just going to ask you about that. I'm yes. glad that you brought that up because I did see that and I wanted to... Before I bring in Patrick, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the history of this building um, and and how you have paid homage to that history. Yo, know, thank you. So you know our name, nineteen twenty five. Uh, you know, as I said, we're on a golf course. So the golf course itself was built in nineteen twenty five. We're in an older building, so wanted to embrace the age, right? So. What better way to do it with that? And our building was built in 1927. We got with the Indiana Historical, uh, or excuse me, the Anderson Historical Society and 
met with them. Uh, Stephen Jackson's his name. He is a lit legend around here, knows everything about uh, the history of Madison County. And I tell you, he came by with pictures and a bunch of stuff that uh, that was that happened at this location at Grandview you know, um, almost a hundred years ago, including a, it was a ladies luncheon. Uh, they were opening up an airfield, a new airfield in Anderson and, uh, Amelia Hart was there, Eddie Rickenbacker, Captain Weircook. So there's a lot of dignitaries at this opening. And, and we actually have a picture in our restaurant of Amelia actually there, uh, on property, which is really cool. That is very cool. Yeah. That is, that is that I, I, again, I think that's the great thing about these trails that you can go, you can connect the dots. You can, you can experience so many different things, um, as you sort of follow that map, um, along under that one umbrella theme. And in this case, you know, we're dealing with pork tenderloin. So we're going to try to take you on a mini tour, um, now to the tin palace, um, and Patrick Rice, Patrick, Thank you for being here as well. And, and same kind of questions to you. Uh, what's, what is your background? And, and tell us about the Tin Palace and, and what brought you to be part of that Tenderloin Trail. The, the Tin Plate is the name of the restaurant. And we opened in 2015. Uh, since then, uh, we have uh, come to be known as a good Tenderloin spot. Uh, some say uh, better than others, but you know how that goes in Indiana. Everyone's got a tenderloin, and everyone's is the best. So uh, <laughs> you know how that goes. <laughs> but but uh, you know we are uh, uh, in a building that's is kind of funny uh, in a building that was built in 1927 as well. Oh, and, there you go. And uh, there's a lot of history uh, in our area. The reason it's named the Tin Plate is because of. The original tin plate factory in the United States uh, was in Elwood, Indiana, uh, opened in 1892. And uh, my building was actually built uh, as a bar and a general store and a rooming house uh, to service the men and women that worked at the tin plate. So uh, that was, uh, you know, a little history on, on our side. Uh, our tenderloin uh, is the uh, very unique, uh, and it's one of a kind. And uh, we really, really, really like to to get them out there. So, you have you have an interesting story about how you kind of fell into your you know uh, tenderloin recipe or specialty. You want to share that? Sure, sure. Uh, the Saturday before we opened, we had a friends and family night at the restaurant. I was real nervous. I hadn't really worked a whole lot on the tenderloin, but, you know, I threw a tenderloin together that night and uh, the comment cards from my friends and family came back and every single person that ate a tenderloin said, this is downright horrible. You need to just scrap it. Don't even put it on the menu. And I was like, well, I've got to have a tenderloin. I'm in Indiana. So uh, Monday morning, uh, we're opening at 11 o'clock and it's like 930 I'm in the, the kitchen and, and I've got a bowl prepared and I threw a couple of ingredients in there and I got called away to go to the cash register because all of a sudden the cash register didn't want to power up. So uh, when I was dealing with the cash register and all of that, my father, who is, is my partner in this venture, he went in there, seen that I'd had something in the bowl. He breaded a tenderloin and fried it and brought it out and said, wow, you did great on this breading. This is amazing. And I was like, Dad, it's it's not done. It, you know, I've got this, this, and this, and this, and this to go in there. And he's like, here, just try it. And I tried it, and I was like, wow, you're right. And that's been our tenderloin. It was basically a, a, a mistake uh, that uh, that turned into our tenderloin. That's awesome. Well, sometimes the, the, the most simple is actually the best. And uh, it sounds like that was definitely the case Definitely. Um, with with uh, with yours, and how long, uh, Patrick, um, have you and the tin plate been participating in the trail? Uh, Lindsay came to us, I believe, in 2015, right? A couple months, maybe after we opened, and and uh, her and Maureen from the Madison County Visitors Bureau, uh, they both came in and they ate, and we met, and uh, we had a good rapport, and and it wasn't too long after that I was uh, I was on the trail. Love it. Um, so you both obviously are part of this trail. You're both in Anderson. 
um, as, as far as I, I understand. Um, but I, I want to ask, you know, I, as I guess ubiquitous as the, you know, tender pork tenderloin is in Indiana, you know, everybody has, I guess, maybe a little bit of their own twist. Uh, I'm going to ask you first, Ben, um, wh- how do you serve your tenderloin? Is it a sandwich? Is it a platter? Uh, excuse my naivete on the pork tenderloin. So if I'm asking questions that are sound absolutely moronic, uh, you know, <laughs> this is a learning opportunity for, for both me and the audience. No problem. Well, you know, it's it's going to be served most most of the time as a sandwich, right? That's why um, everybody in Indiana is used to it, and they're going to judge you on having that best sandwich because it's all about the ingredients as well. So what kind of pork and, you know, how are you – are you pounding it out thin or do you have a thicker cut – uh, how's the breading on it? The breading profile, does the bun smash well on the tenderloin? You know, do you have a crisp, you know, lettuce and onion and tomato and, and right mustard, everything else to go along with it. I mean, everybody has the best, uh, just like Patrick said. I mean, it's a, it's a serious <laughs> deal around here for sure. It's, it's one of those things in Indiana you take very seriously. So when you have people that come to you and say, hey, listen, they recognize you as having one of the top, you know, sandwiches, around, you know, we all get compliments and Patrick's got a great reputation, been to his restaurant numerous times. Um, they, they, Thank they you, Ben. Do what, hey, yeah, you do, you do a great job there. And, um, you know, and that's one thing that we want to do is like, listen, if we're going to have a tenderloin, we're going to do it right. And chef's recipe, we felt like a thicker, it's a little thicker. It's not the pounded out version. It's a little thicker uh, the way we like it. So people can bite into it. it has a great bite. And our, our customers and the folks that have discovered us seem to appreciate that. And, and it's having that right bun. And we actually went through many different buns just to find out which one fits well, which one's going to hold and, and, uh, and serve as a great carrier for, the, for specifically for the tenderloin. Um, that was our main goal right when we started. You bring up a good point about the um, about the ingredients, which are obviously the the, the key uh, to any you know good final product is the ingredients you put into it. Do you use uh, you know all or predominantly locally sourced ingredients for your tenderloin? As far as from Indiana, yeah, yeah, the pork is from here, so the pork is yeah, the pork's from Indiana uh, for sure. The ingredients that we get, I mean. Uh, where we can, uh, you know, some of the seasonings and such, you, you, I mean, some of that you can't control, but the pork definitely is important for us to have. It's from Indiana. So, um, that's the most important piece that, that we see. And then also, you know, whatever you can get with the lettuce and tomato or whatever else that goes along with it, uh, when it's in season to get it locally, uh, if possible. Sure. Of course. Patrick, what about you and, and your tenderloin? We heard about the, the, the breading which, you know, I think we can all agree is, is incredibly important to all of this. But yes. um, h- how do you put all of this together? Is it a sandwich well, for you too? We have several different ways we do the tenderloin. Uh, we have, of course, the sandwich, which is the most popular. Uh, we sell about <clears throat> anywhere from eighteen to 20,000 sandwiches a year. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> which is quite, it, it equates to, I believe, about six tons of, of pork. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, we also uh, serve a what's called a tenderloin Manhattan. Uh, it's uh, a tenderloin that is, is served over your choice of bread, mashed potatoes, tenderloin, and then our roast beef Manhattan gravy over the top, which is oh, wow. all, all in all its its own thing as well. Because uh, we, I'm actually in Elwood, which is a, a little outside of Anderson, and the big dog in Elwood is Red Gold Tomato. Uh, products, the, the big factories here. Hmm. So uh, when we made our Manhattan, we made it with a, a t- their tomato product. So it's a red gravy Manhattan and it goes over the whole uh, tenderloin. We have that. Uh, we also do a country gravy tenderloin with a white pepper gravy over the top. And then uh, we have a tenderloin salad as well, huh. where we take a, you know, they let you, you know, splurge and get tenderloin, but still kind of be healthy in the same, in the same realm. So, you know, it's a half a tenderloin. Uh, it's fried, it's cut up into, into, into strips and it's, you know, put over the salad and you eat it with your salad. Uh, we do that. And uh, of course we have a, our grilled tenderloin as well for folks that don't like the breading. Wow, you guys definitely have it absolutely covered when it comes to tenderloin. And I, do you also source uh, your pork from Indiana? 
Yes, as, as a matter of fact, uh, a very good friend of mine uh, owns a, uh, a hog farm just outside of town uh, where he has at any given time six to 8,000 hogs. Oh, wow. He sells specifically to uh, a producer up in Delphi, Indiana, and I get my meat through a company through them. So I basically, my meat is coming from just right outside of town here. That's that's great. I mean, that's that's literally... Uh, farm to table, <laughs> for sure. Yes, it truly, it truly is. <laughs> that is that is truly farm to table. Yes, and Lindsay's met this guy, this farmer as well, so uh, she knows how how cool of an operation it is. <laughs> oh, that's, is, is that's that great. Mis- Mr. Jarrett? Yeah, his name is Rick Jarrett. Yeah, Rick Jarrett. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, since since you're in the conversation, do you have anything to add? Um, to this about the Tenderloin Trail or, or any of the other sort of back end things like like the sourcing of the pork or, or anything of that nature, we do have um, actually quite a few. I believe we have seventy four stops throughout um, Indiana on the Tenderloin Lovers Trail. We're up to seventy four now. Um, wow! Each of our restaurants go through an assessment process. I do want to say that. And so that is our stamp of approval of Indiana Foodways Alliance. You are now a member, and that's our stamp of approval. So we go in, as um, they both have mentioned, we meet with the owner, we talk about what we do and how we market and what they would expect. But it's it's learning the story from them, from the owner, who, you know, have put their blood, sweat, and tears into their restaurant and you know, some all of their life savings and and to do what they love to do and to serve the community. And so that is my job as the executive director of Indiana Foodways Alliance is telling that story and, and getting that out there. Um, I think it's very fascinating because uh, with the Tenderloin Lovers Trail, you know, that's the fun thing about it is that Everyone has their own unique taste for it or style or however they like it prepared. I know Ben does it one way, uh, Patrick does it another, and everyone who goes on that Tenderloin Lover's Trail and experiences those restaurants, they come out with their favorite or their top five. And believe me, it is a conversation in Indiana. Um, I bet. I know <laughs> It is. You you bring it up with with friends, family, fellow foodies. They all have an opinion. They all know what they like. And it it may be different that, you know, they may like the thinner version at one restaurant, but they they like the 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 thicker, more generous portion um at another restaurant. So I think that's the the joy of the Tenderloin Lovers Trail is that there's something for everyone and, and the style as you know, as long as you like that pork and, um, and how it's prepared, however you like it prepared, like, uh, Patrick was saying, they, they serve it several different ways, you know, um, there's just something for everyone. And, and that's the joy of the culinary trails is you find what food you love, what represents Indiana and, and you, you, you know, go on the trails, you, partake in it and 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 get your bellies full and experience Indiana all in the same at the same time. Well, this I think is a great place to to end our conversation because you're absolutely right. This is a choose your own adventure, get your belly full uh and you know learn and explore um you know and discover all in the process. Lindsay, I want to thank you and I want to thank you for bringing together uh, ben and Patrick to share their stories on the Tenderloin Trail. Thank you, everyone, for being uh, on the show today. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.